Hello again. So before we get started, I want to give you guys an update quick on some of our community partnership stuff that we have going on. As you know, we have an awesome partnership with Parkview Elementary School here in town where we do cool things like make meals for teachers and assist in events where they need volunteers and do boxes of food at Thanksgiving and presents at Christmas and whatever they need. Um, we have a cool opportunity now where we've expanded our partnership to include Riverview Middle School. We're going to be doing a lot of the same things at Riverview that we do at Parkview. In fact, on August 29th, we are going to be doing a breakfast at Parkview Elementary and then loading up the cars with food for lunch and doing a lunch at Riverview Middle School. It's going to be awesome. Because we're essentially doubling our partnership, we need people to step up in big ways, both in the school and out of the school. We'll need people in August to work directly with the staff at Riverview and Parkview. We'll also need people to do the practical work of delivering boxes of food to families at Thanksgiving and buying and delivering Christmas presents to families in need in December, all of that stuff. If you're looking for a way to get involved in what we're doing in the church or if you're looking for a way to serve our community, this is a really great way to get involved. This is a really great way to serve our community. God has opened a door for us to be his hands and feet in the Plymouth School District. Let's not miss it. Can you put up the picture of the students from Life Conference again? Um, as our students talked about, um, a couple of weeks ago, Bella and I took a group of students to Life Conference. Um, that's just a very brief snapshot of what we did. We did all sorts, of, all sorts of things, from playing baseball in hotel hallways to hanging out with alligators to all the cool things that God did in the lives of our students that you just heard. This was my first trip with students. Um, well, not technically my first trip. I've like taken students to camp and stuff, but I've never flown with a group of students before. And uh, one of the things that blew my mind about this was all of the preparation that went into it. From the fundraising to shooting out airlines to getting students to both fill out and turn in all of the forms that we needed for like travel and work projects and medical releases and a million different things. It was a lot of preparation. And to be honest with you guys, uh, until we were on the plane backing away from the gate, I was pretty tightly wound. <laughs> it was important as we went to life that we had a plan and we didn't just wing it. Um, I had nightmares about, not kidding, I had nightmares about landing in Orlando and going, all right, how are we going to get to the hotel? Um, it was important that we were planned out and ready for what was going to happen that week. And that's what we're talking about today, being ready. Today we're looking at Luke 12, 35 through 48. If you have your Bible or your phone on you, now is a really good time to turn there. If you don't have your Bible on you, there is one under the seat in front of you. Quick note that I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, so it's not going to quite match up with the Bible under the seat in front of you, but I promise it really is saying the same thing. Today we're going to look at what it looks like to be spiritually ready and spiritually faithful to what God has for us. And this passage says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. 
as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before the dawn, but whenever he comes, he'll reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is that illustration just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Well, what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Our first point today is to be ready. Be ready. Verse 35 here says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. In the NIV, which is the Bible under the seat in front of you, it says, be dressed in readiness. Or if you look at the New King James Version, which is the version that is on your grandparents' shelf, it says, let your waist be girded. Let your waist be girded. What that means is in these days, people, both men and women, wore these long flowing robes. It was actually a status symbol if your robes went long enough to cover your hands because you had people doing all your work for you that you never had to use your hands. They wore these long flowing robes, and before they could work or fight or run, people needed to gather up the loose material and tie it with either a sash or a belt. This was a part of getting ready. It was the biblical equivalent of rolling up your sleeves, if you will. And you'll notice this is not the first time God has talked about this. If you remember in Exodus 12, um, the Israelites are getting ready to leave Egypt. A whole bunch of plagues have happened. This is right before they eat the Passover meal. The lamb's blood's already on their doorposts. It's this really intense moment. They're about to eat the Passover meal. And the Lord says, these are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking sticks in your hands. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Or, if you read it in the New King James Version, it says you shall eat it with the belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. What he's saying there is already have your robes tied and ready to go. Have that belt on your waist, keeping them up. Be ready. Don't take the time to bunch up your robes after you've been given the okay to leave Egypt. Have that done already. Have everything ready so when Pharaoh says you can go, you go. In the same way, in Luke 12, Jesus' words are a call to readiness in light of his imminent return. The bunching up your robes and tying them with a belt wasn't something you did right outside of when you were going to leave 
Um, it wasn't a common occurrence to walk around like that. I imagine if it was, people would just make shorter robes. What we see here is that as Christians, we are supposed to live completely ready for the Lord's imminent return. Verse 35 continues, goes on and says, keep your lamps burning. One author said that lamps have only one function, to provide light. In this case, as it often is, light is a figure for knowledge. This is not the time, Jesus warned, to be ignorant of these truths, stumbling around in the darkness. People need to be watchful and make certain that their lamp of knowledge is always lit. We're not going to turn there, but if you look at Matthew 25, 1 through 12, there's another parable talking about this exact same thing, keeping your lamps lit. This is something we're commanded to do. And if you look at Romans 13, 11 through 14, we see the why behind this command. Romans 13, 11 through 14, we see the why. It says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we, don't, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. As Christians, it is our duty to walk in the light. Um, for three years, Bella and I worked at a camp in northern Minnesota called Big Sandy Camp. I talk about it all the time because it was a very influential time in my life. Awesome place, met awesome people, met some of my best friends there, met my wife there. Um, saw God move a whole bunch. And one of the things that we often did at Big Sandy was play night games. We'd go out after dark and play capture the flag or some other game with a couple hundred students. It was a great bonding opportunity for our campers. It was a lot of fun. Just all in all, it was awesome. But one thing that happened on a somewhat frequent basis is that people would get injured because they would run into trees. <laughs> it seemed like just about every time we played a night game, there would be at least one person at the nurse's cabin because they were running in the dark, couldn't see what was in front of them, and would get rocked by a pine tree that had been there for 100 years. And it's not like the camp wasn't well lit either. There were plenty of street lamps and building lights in the main part of camp. But what would happen is that people would choose to stick to the edges, to the right at the edge of the boundaries that we had set, where it was dark, so that they could sneak around, either laying in wait for people to come onto their side of the field or trying to sneak over to the opponent's side to you know, capture the flag. And they would either see someone to chase, see someone who was chasing them, turn and run in the darkness, and get rocked. This actually happened to me once, not with a tree, but with one of those big steel cables that anchored the zip line, caught me from shoulder to hip, left a massive bruise. It was not a good time. But how often do we see people do the same thing in our world today? 
spend so much time in the dark, spend so much time in sin, running as fast as they can to whatever fills their desires, not knowing that they're running towards disaster. Jesus calls us to something different, though. As Christians, we aren't called to stumble around in the dark, but rather we're called to keep our lamps lit, to walk in the light. Jesus doubles back on this point a couple of verses later from a different point of view. If you look at verse 39, he says, Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. I don't think any of us have ever gone off to work thinking, man, today's the day that someone's going to burgle my home. It's burgle a word? I think it is. Um, today's the day that someone's going to burgle my home. If we knew that, we probably wouldn't go to work, right? If we knew that today was the day that someone was going to break into our house, we wouldn't go to work, right? We'd sit around in our living room, probably with a couple of police officers, wait for the person to try to break in, and then have them arrested. But that's not how it works. It happens unexpectedly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6 expands on this point when it says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, be clear-headed. That last sentence is the whole point that Jesus is trying to make here. Stay alert, be ready. He's coming back soon. And if we look at verse 37 of Luke 12 we see our reward. Luke 12, verse 37 says, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Here, Jesus is talking about heaven when all believers are together with him in in eternity. He talks about it just one chapter later. If you want to look at Luke 13, I'm sure it's just one page turn for you. Luke 13, 29 through 30. He says, and people will come from all over the world, from east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who are least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. It is really easy for us to have an earthly perspective rather than an eternal perspective. It's really easy for us to think about where we're going to be in five years and not where we're going to be in 5,000 years. Man, how do I get that next promotion? How do I make enough extra income to get that boat or that new car or that fun game? How do I perfectly craft my words so when I go up to that cute girl in my class and try and talk to her, she doesn't shoot me down in front of all my friends and embarrass me? Here, Jesus is resetting our perspective to an eternal one because what matters more than that stuff is our eternity with or without Christ. What matters more than any of our stuff is our eternity with or without Christ. So what does that look like? What practical steps can we take? 
The first one is that readiness starts with salvation. Readiness starts with salvation. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Romans 3, 23 through 25, Paul says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And lastly, Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I first memorized that verse in the English Standard Version. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have yet to start a relationship with Jesus today, today's a really great day for it. I'd love to pray with you. Any of our elders would love to pray with you. Pastor Tim would love to pray with you. Don't wait on it. If you do have a relationship with Jesus, today the second thing we see is that readiness involves sanctification. Readiness involves sanctification. Sanctification is just the fancy word for the continuing work of Jesus in our lives. As we walk with Jesus, sanctification is Jesus making us more like him. As we spend more time with Jesus, sin gets worked out of our hearts. Things that aren't of Jesus get worked out of our hearts, and he replaces them with things that are of him. Our relationship with Jesus doesn't stop with fire insurance. It's a continuing work where as we walk with him, he makes us more and more like him. One author said that the redeemed demonstrate their readiness for Christ's return by pursuing a godly life. And 2 Peter 3.14 says, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. I think those are two adjectives that describe Jesus very well. Pure and blameless. If you know Jesus, walk with him daily. Spend time in your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Spend time with other people that know Jesus. Don't make your relationship with the Lord a purely Sunday thing. Or when um, we start up again with our small groups and with our regular weekly programming, don't make it a purely Sunday and Wednesday thing. Walk with the Lord every day. As believers, we are called to be ready. But we're also called to be faithful. And that's our second point today, be faithful. Luke 12, 42 through 44 says, A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. In this passage, we see the importance of not just being ready for when Jesus comes back, but being faithful during the time that we have here on earth. Growing up, did you guys ever have that moment where you'd wake up on a Saturday morning ready for a day of watching cartoons or playing with friends or, I don't know, eating dirt, whatever you did as a kid, <laughs> only to come down the stairs to find a list on the kitchen table. Did anybody else's parents do that? Was that just mine? Um, <laughs> this happened often in my house growing up, where my parents would be out doing something or another, 
and they'd leave a list of things that my siblings and I needed to get done by the time they got back. This was stuff like taking out the trash, sweeping the floors, cleaning our rooms, taking the chicken out of the freezer to thaw, giving the dog a bath, mucking the stalls in the horse barn, whatever. This list wasn't a suggestion of things to do. It wasn't a, if you have time in your busy childhood schedule, if you can get around to this, that'd be great. It was a list of expectations, things that needed to be done. I'm sure that my mom and dad would have really appreciated it if when they came home, I was sitting by the door with a thing of flowers, just super excited for them to be home. I'm sure 30 seconds later, they would have been really disappointed and upset when they realized that I hadn't swept the floors, taken out the trash, given the dog a bath, or taken the chicken out of the freezer. Being ready is important. Working on our relationship with Jesus is important. But it goes hand in hand with being faithful to the work that he's called us to. One author put it this way, when he returns, Jesus too will reward those who have faithfully carried out his will. Just as the master put the faithful servant in charge of all his possessions, so also will the Lord give his faithful servants corresponding responsibility in the kingdom. If we have a relationship with Jesus, it is not enough that we sit by the door with a, th with a thing of flowers, eagerly awaiting his return, just psyched that he's coming back. We have things to do. We have work to do as we wait. James 2, 17 through 20 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds... It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Oofta. <laughs> that one hits a little close to home, huh? This is a hard-hitting section of Scripture, but it gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about here with the faithful servant. When we follow Jesus, people should be able to see it, not just through what we say, but through our actions. When we follow Jesus, people should be able to see it, not just through the nice picture of a field of flowers with a Bible verse that we post on Facebook once a week but through the way that we live our lives. On the flip side of this, Jesus also talks about the unfaithful servant. <clears throat> this passage says, But what if the servant thinks, My master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Notice that it's not just the servant who does the wrong thing that gets punished in this story, 
but it says, and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. The servant who knows the right thing to do and then doesn't do it is also guilty. James 4.17 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is important that as people that know Jesus, we do his will, that we remain faithful in following him. About this unfaithful servant, one author said, lacking a sense of urgency, he, the unfaithful servant, continued to do whatever satisfied him. And that included brutality inflicted on the other servants, both men and women, as well as continuing to eat and drink and get drunk. Instead of properly managing the resources placed in his charge, he used and abused them for his own gluttonous and drunken pleasure. He lived under the illusion that he had plenty of time to enjoy his sin before his master returns. How often do we see people in our culture live like this, assuming that they can do what they want, sin however they want, because God will forgive them in the end? I've had that conversation more than a handful of times with people who have said, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, uh, yeah, Jesus is real, sure. But I want to do my own thing right now. And then maybe later I'll follow him. Perhaps in your own heart, you're holding on to some sin, something you want to give to God eventually, but don't want to do it right now. You're really busy right now. Uh, giving sin to God seems like a lot of work. This kind of reasoning is foolish and it's dangerous. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when the Lord is going to return. If you want to take a look back at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 6, it says that. So if you're holding on to some sin that you know the Lord wants you to give up, do that today. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Pretty sure in the NIV there it says, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe today you're following Jesus well and you're looking for what the next steps of following him well looks like. Awesome. Spend time with the Lord, search out what that is. Maybe today you realize that there's things that the Lord's calling you to do that you haven't been doing. Awesome. Praise the Lord that he's working in your life. Go and do those things. Maybe today there's some sin in your life that you've been holding on to that you need to give to him. Awesome. Praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, convicting you of sin. 1 John 1, nine says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Give sin to him. Guys, because of the commands in Luke 12, 35 through 48, we need to be ready. This means that first, we have a relationship with Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you haven't done that yet, today is a great day for it. Being ready also means that we continue to walk daily with the Lord, letting him sanctify us, Letting him work in our hearts, making us more and more like him, pulling out things that aren't of him, replacing them with things that are. 
This looks like spending time with him every day in our Bibles and in prayer. This looks like spending time with other people that know Jesus. If you don't have a group of people that know Jesus that surround you, man, we have a lot of small groups that would love to have you. Proverbs 27:17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Let's be a church of people that sharpen each other, that drive each other closer to Jesus. In addition to being ready, we also need to be faithful. This passage says that a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Guys, while we're here waiting for the Lord to return, we have work to do. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you for your continuing work in our lives. We praise you for the way that you work in and through us. God, I pray that you would continue that. Lord, we want to be more like you. I pray that you would make each one of us more like you. Drive us closer to you. Search us and sanctify us, Jesus. In your name, amen.